So when we get to chapter 24, he's kind of just set it up. We get to the last couple verses in uh, Matthew 23. So I just want to read those just to kind of put it in its place. This is when he's uh, kind of looking, he's pronounced all these woes on the scribes and Pharisees for rejecting him. And then he says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You just feel like his pain that Jerusalem has rejected him, right? And he says, See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never not see me again. So he's leaving Jerusalem. He's leaving the temple. He's leaving the scene. Until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you welcome me as the ruler that has come in the name of the Lord. So we get to verse chapter 24. And so... Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now keep that statement in the back of your mind for a minute. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. You see, they ask him two questions. They hear him talking about the temple being destroyed, and he, he has talked about other things that will happen, and they says, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So he kind of addresses the second question first, the one that says, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, they had asked about the end of the age, remember? So he's addressing that. He says, this, all these things are going to take place, and then the end of the age will come. But there's, a, there's, a, there's some things in here we're going to see. But just the general characteristics of this time period are, are, we can say, well, a lot of those things are happening now. We have wars. We have rumors or pending or threatening wars that are coming. We have, uh, we have a lot of people pretending to be uh, Christ or you know, other false teachers. But some of the, most of those things are things that are going to be found in the end of the Bible in Revelation, which of course we don't have time to go into. But they correspond to things that begin in Revelation chapter 6. So if you, if you see the, the characteristics that Jesus just outlined, he talked about false Christs, he talked about wars of rumors of wars, and these are, if you, if you look this up in Revelation 6 and kind of compare the two, you'll see that there's, this is a, a def, defined period of time that these things are going to happen. Famines, pestilence, earth, uh, earthquakes, martyrs, that people die, for their belief in Jesus. False prophets, increasing evil and loss of fervent love, and the worldwide preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel that it might be a little different than our gospel that talks about our, us being taken to heaven with Jesus. But we'll get to that in a minute. 
And then he gets to verse 15, and it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And as I was going through this today, I was thinking, Matthew took the time to put that little phrase in parentheses, right? He, he, he's writing all, all this stuff about what Jesus said, and now he gets to this place where he says, I want people to understand this thing about the abomination of desolation. I want you to get that. I want you to grab a hold of that. And so he puts in there, whoever reads this, let him understand. And so my, I'm going to take a little time here to try and get a, a, as clear an explanation without going to all of the things that are, you know, that's a whole big subject in and of itself. But the, where we get to this idea of the abomination of desolation and what that even means, because those are words we don't necessarily use that often. So this, this, this is the lead up to this is in Daniel chapter 9, where it begins to talk about the 70 weeks. And I'm going to have it on the screen so you don't necessarily have to turn there. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now, just stop for a second. Who's Daniel's people? Israel. Israel, the Jews, right? Who, what is the holy city? What is your holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, okay. So remember, this is talking about the people of Israel, the Jews, and Jerusalem. So 70 weeks concerning, the, concerning your city and your people, okay? To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now that's talking about the, the time when Jesus reigns on the earth. To seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Now we're not going to get, try and dissect all of what that means, but all of these things are supposed to happen in re relation to Jews and, and, and Jerusalem. And then it gets to verse 25. It says, So know and understand, from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now at this time, Daniel's in Babylon. In 586, uh, Jerusalem is destroyed, 586 BC, before Christ, before the common era. In 586, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and taken a bunch of them as slaves back to Babylon. So Daniel's one of these slaves in Babylon, and uh, he's prophesying about the future. And he says, from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until an anointed one, a prince, arrives, there will be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will again be built with plaza and moat, but in distressful times. Now the word weeks is also can be translated sevens. So as they look at this, most people begin to understand that it's talking about years, okay? So weeks of years, so seven, seven weeks or seven sevens is 49 years. So people have calculated this, and I won't go into all of the study that's involved in this, but this issuing of the command to restore or rebuild Jerusalem happened in 445 BC. This guy, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, told Nehemiah, he gave them the authority to begin build, rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. Now, they already kind of had, had the temple built some time before that, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really going, and it was, was unprotected. Mm -hmm. and, and so this prophecy has to do with re rebuilding of Jerusalem. So uh, he tells Nehemiah to go ahead and begin to be, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So from 445 B.C. to 32 A.D., that's the year Jesus rode into Jerusalem and we talked about a couple of weeks ago when he rode in, the people were saying, Hosanna, you guys remember that? Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said that then, but they weren't welcoming him as the Messiah, as the, as the one that would rule. So, to the coming of Messiah, to the appearing of Messiah, that is those 483 years, the first 69 weeks. And as, as uh, the Bible talks about these type of time periods, it's, it talks about uh, years as being consisting of 30-day months, okay? That's a better way to understand it. So uh, 
it says, uh, like in, in, in the Revelation, it talks about 42 months. And then it talks about that being three and a half years. And I don't have time to go into all that right now. But three and a half years is 42 months, which is, which is um, uh, 1,260 days it's written as other times. So you don't have to do the math, but just know that it's 360 days. So these first uh, 483 years, from the time that Nehemiah is told he, he could start rebuilding Jerusalem, to the time that Jesus rides in on the colt, is 483 years. The first 49 years involves rebuilding Jerusalem. This, the next 434 years spans the time until Jesus arrives on the scene. There's a chart. We move on. <laughs> I couldn't find any simple charts, so you kind of get it already. Now, after the 62 weeks, now remember, this is verse 26 of Daniel now, okay? After the 62 weeks, at some point after this, this, this period of time, an anointed one, the Messiah, that's the word means Messiah. So anytime you see, even in, even in our reading today in Matthew, when you see the word Christ, or Messiah, it means the same thing as anointed one. So when it says in Daniel that an anointed one will be cut off, it's talking about Jesus, the Messiah's death. So after this period of time has elapsed, then Jesus will die. And it says, as for the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple, the people of the coming prince will destroy them. Now in the time of Jesus, there was a guy, Herod, that had rebuilt the, the old temple, and he had made it really fancy and beautiful. He started in 20 BC, before you know, BC, and he had finished it. It was still being built at the time of Jesus. And this is kind of an artist's renditioning, rendition of what that temple would have looked like. It was fancy, it was beautiful, and uh, it was it was the people in Jerusalem really liked it. So when you look at the first two verses of, of Matthew 24, the disciples are admiring this temple. They're thinking, oh, that's, look, at, look at how beautiful this thing is. This is awesome. And there's, there's parts in Mark and Luke where they, they do the same thing. It talks about that. But this is going to be destroyed, is what Jesus is saying. So Daniel 9.25, just recapping that, the decree for 883 years, coming Messiah. Daniel 9.26, after this period of time, there's the death of the Messiah, and this this the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Now Jesus was killed in about 33 AD. And in the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus in 70 AD. In 70 AD, just 40 years after Jesus died, Titus from the Roman Empire, a general, he built these wooden scaffolds around the walls of the temple, set them on fire, and after all the stones had crumbled, he threw everything down into the valley. And so that fulfilled the thing about Daniel saying the city and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. But also look at the second verse in our, in our, uh, in our chapter here. It says, there, Jesus had said, there will not be left here in this temple that you guys are admiring one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Forty years later, that happens. So, you have these, these, these prophecies from Daniel 9, 25, 26, already fulfilled. And then in that Daniel 9, 27, it begins to talk about this person that's coming in the future. And there's different places in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Bible where it talks about this, this, what has come to be known as the Antichrist that will come, okay? And it says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So this, 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 this contract with Israel is in the last final seven years. Now remember, we got 69 of the, of the 70 weeks already accounted for. But in the last one, he makes this contract with Israel. Okay, And for half of the week, or in the middle of the week, as most translation, translations put it, which I think is the correct way of seeing it. He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And then the final part of 27, it says, And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's awkward to me. 
that's that's hard to uh, get a hold of. NIV is a little uh, more clear. It says, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. There it is. That's what Jesus is talking about, referring back to Daniel. Okay. So now we've got to that part. It's going to happen at the 70th week, in the middle of the 70th week, okay? Until the end of his decree is poured out on him. The Antichrist has an end that's going to happen to him. So you get, uh, you get a partial fulfillment of this in, in, um, in, in Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, um, basically, this is another another prophecy about this this uh, abomination and this was they had this time in history when this happened in the temple and so it's kind of like a foreshadowing but because Jesus didn't come we know that didn't happen and also because Jesus spoke about something that was going to go on in the future we know that this thing about Antiochus uh, wasn't the, the thing that Jesus is talking about but it's kind of like a foreshadowing. So this guy, Antiochus, he had given himself the name. That's a, that's a shot of him right there. That's an actual bust of, of him. Okay. He gave himself the surname Epiphanes, which means the, the visible God. And he claimed that he and Jupiter were identical. In 167 BC, he attempted to stop the temple sacrifices. He offered a pig on the altar. And that's very unclean to the Jewish people. This made the Jewish temple abominable to them. And then he set up a Greek god as a statue in the temple. So you kind of get a picture of what's going to happen, what that means to have an abomination of desolation by the Antichrist in the future that Jesus begins to talk about. So the, act, the action of Antiochus was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen later on. And Jesus is saying this will be repeated by the Antichrist as the signal of the beginning of the Great Tribulation, as we're, as we're going to read on here, okay? But Matthew says, let the reader understand, right? So, there, the, one of the things we need to understand is the timing of this, okay? The timing of this abomination is very important. Now, in Daniel 12, 11, it says, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that caused that makes desolate is set up. There'll be 1,290 days. Now, in our in our calendar, in our like right now, if you do the math, three and a half years is about 1,278 days. So this is just a, a little more than that. So it's about three and a half years. Jesus is saying, from the time you see this thing set up. We know that just three and a half years after that, there's going to, there's going to be this great big period of really hard times, stressful times, especially on the Jews, but also on the whole world. And after that, Jesus is going to return to reign in his kingdom. So we get back to this verse in verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now hopefully we understand it right now. And we'll get some questions later. But Jesus says, when you see that happen, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then, there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were short, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Now this is kind of like him, Jesus is pointing out, I'm warning you, there's going to be a lot of guys going to deceive a lot of people in this room. You can go find the Messiah out in the desert. 
You can go into this little room in this little place over here in this little church and you're going to find the Messiah. That's where you're going to find him and he's going to lead you. No. He says, when I come back, he says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be an event that's going to be able to be seen by the whole world. Now, when Jesus left the earth, and you can read about that in the first chapter, chapter of Acts, when Jesus left the earth, the Bible says he was slowly caught up in the cloud, and he slowly, the cloud slowly took him out of his sight. Then angels came and they stood there, and they said, why do you guys stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus is going to come again in the same way you've seen him go. So he's going to come gradually and visibly, okay? When he comes to rain, it's going to be an event that's, that's kind of like lightning that you can see across the sky from the east and the west. It's going to be something that's very vis visible. And, you know, it's not going to be just, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, hard to think of him as he's just, a, you know, this, probably the size of a man. I don't know how we'd be any different than that. But um, his coming will be visible to all somehow. We don't really know how that happens. So then it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now Jesus is talking about an event that's prophesied probably at least eight to ten times in scripture in one way or another. There's a few of the, the references, but this is some, all over the Bible about the sun, uh, sun going to darkness, the moon turning dark. I mean, what does it say? I'm sorry. <laughs> the sun will be darkened. Yeah, the sun will be darkened. The moon not give its light. Sometimes it reads something about the moon turning the color of blood and the stars falling from heaven. But whatever this entails, it's going to be a cosmic disturbance that is introduces the time when Jesus appears on the scene to begin his kingdom on earth. And so what we know about the heavens, what we know about what's up there is going to change. Okay? And whatever this sign says in verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now even that is talked about in Daniel chapter 7, but we won't go there right now. In Revelation it also says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierce Him, and all of the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. This is repeated, okay? So you can kind of see a continuity, and this, this, this slide is just to show the continuity. Back in Daniel, it talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and having dominion over the earth. That's where we get the idea of Jesus ruling the whole earth. And Jesus talks about after the tribulation, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and the tribes of the earth will mourn, and a similar thing in Revelation. So just, this is just to show the continuity of Scripture. And there's a few other places where it says a similar thing. And Jared, probably a couple weeks, will, will talk about that in, in Matthew 26, where Jesus says this to the high priest. He says, they ask him if he's God, if he's, if he's the Christ. And he says, you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. And the, and the high priest goes, that's blasphemy, that's God. And you can read that in Matthew 26, I think the latter part of that. Verse 64 or something. But this is repeated several times. That this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return this way. Everybody's going to see him. And Jesus adds, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So, he's, so his return will be visible. He will come with the angels and saints gathered from heaven. And there will be definite signs leading up to the time when Jesus establishes the kingdom on earth. And he says this, From the fig tree learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gate. So he's given all these signs. This is to Jerusalem. Now this is written, remember that back in Daniel, the prophecy is to the Jews in Israel and to Jerusalem. So it's concerning them, okay? For the most part. Alive during that time of great tribulation and sorrow. So when you see that fig tree, you know that, hey, it's springtime coming. Pretty soon you're going to have figs and you know it's going to happen. He says, in the same way you're going to see that going on. And he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All the things he just spoke about. The people living at that time will see Jesus coming to reign. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now this generation, he says, this generation will not will uh, will not pass away until all these things come to pass. He's saying, those people living at that time are going to have it all happen right before Jesus comes to reign. So there's specific things and um, that Jesus talks about here. And I wanted to kind of point that out because he's saying something very specific about certain when this see this happen, then this will happen, then this will happen immediately after that. So when you see the abomination, then there will be great tribulation. Then if anyone says immediately after the tribulation, you'll see the sign of the Son of Man. That then when all the, you see all these things, you know he's near. So he's given things that are very clear signposts in the future during this period of time that say this is when it's going to happen. So it's changing a little bit at this point because uh, he's kind of kind of wrapped up that whole section on, I believe he's wrapped up the whole section on the tribulation. And so then he goes, he begins to answer the first question that the disciple asked, disciples asked in verse 3. When? When exactly when this this all begin. And he begins to say, but of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. But doesn't that little sound a little confusing to you? Because I really believe all these things, he's talking about signs that will happen, that you can see, and then I'll come. Then he talks about something that's coming very unexpectedly. And he's talking about back in the days of, of Noah, they were going along and living, and there was no bad times necessarily happening. They're eating and drinking. They're marrying and giving in marriage. Okay, when you think of marrying, you think that there's a future. You think that there's something going on. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> you think that there's, it's light, it's fun. It's, there's a future. There's something going to happen. And when you're giving your kids in marriage, you're thinking, well, they got a future. They're going to have, they're, they're going to get married. They're going to have some kids. And the, the idea is there's a future. There's things going on. There's nothing to be worried about. We'll just kind of live life. But Jesus is saying there's an unexpected event happening when, when people will be taken from the earth. Okay? And he says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, something about the language here is important. Now, the word for taken, uh, one will be taken and the other left, is, is a word that means, in Greek, is, you don't need to know this, parallel, but where we get the word parallel or paragraph, anything that comes alongside, take with, alongside. And it means to take, a lo to take along or to take with. There's an accompanying thing. So the one taken is being, is taken along, Okay. And the word for left is, is a word that means to leave or abandon. So when Jesus says one is taken, 
and the other's left, that's, doesn't, that's not a destruction of that person taken. He's taken from that situation. He's taken away. And later on we find in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 that this is speaking about the rapture, the time when Jesus returns and the dead in Christ rise first. And we which are alive and remain are caught up together with them. You, I'm sure you've heard of that. So, and but I'm not going to go into Thessalonians right now, but other than to say Jesus is talking about a time when somebody's going to be taken and somebody's going to be abandoned. Okay? So what the disciples can know about the end, we've already established that. And so I'll just kind of blaze through that. But what the disciples can't know is that they don't know the day and the hour. They don't... It's like the people in Noah's time knowing nothing of the flood. And he says, you do not know when your Lord will come. And then, uh, as we'll get to in the next few verses, it talks about a couple other times when people don't know that the Master is coming back. Okay? And one thing to point out, in the first half of the, this teaching that Jesus is, is talking about, the one who was in the field in chapter verse verse 18, is warned not to go back and get his cloak. He says, you see this happening? Don't go back and get your cloak. Run away. In the second half, there'll be no warning for those two people working in the field. They're just going to, that one of them is going to be taken. And this is speaking, beginning to speak, and beginning, beginning to give teaching about the rapture. Because later on, Jesus tells, tells them about a time when he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. For where I am, there you may be also. That's in John 14. So he begins to talk about the rapture here. And so the difference in the two is that there won't be any signs. People will be complacent, like in Noah's time. And those taken with Jesus will escape God's judgment, just like God told Noah to go into the ark. Okay? He told Noah to go on the ark seven days before it started raining. If you look in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4, it talks about them, they finish building the ark, and then they go into the ark, and seven days later, it starts raining heavily. Okay? So this is a picture, a pattern of God's plan to save the church, or people who have trusted in Jesus, before he brings judgment on the earth. Noah's entering the ark to escape God's judgment is a picture of the rapture of the church. I really believe that. I've looked at this for a long time, and I'm not saying believe me because I've studied it, but this makes more sense. This seems to come right, right out of the scripture. Now, I do recognize that there's people that have different understandings or interpretations of this, but if you put all the different scriptures together and you, you, you make them work and you believe that they're all true, then this, this has to be referring to the time when Jesus comes for believers. Now one of the things that's important is, is that in thinking about these people eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, is that the people here are not doing, not saying they're doing awful sin, okay? But they're indifferent to Jesus. There's, there's, they're indifferent to the truth that could save them. So, so Noah's, Noah's up there, and the Bible says in First Peter, in Second Peter, that he was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he he told the people, "Hey, God is going to judge you for your sin. God is going to judge the world. I'm building this ark here, and the ark has been sitting there for however long it takes to build it." And they see, and they said, "What's all this about, Noah? Why, why are you building this thing?" And he's probably going and getting materials and different things and talking to people. What are you building? And he's probably telling them God's going to judge the world. But they're indifferent to it. They keep on, ah, <laughs> you go build your heart, go ahead. They're indifferent to the truth that could save them. It's not that they're necessarily doing evil things. They're just immersed in their life with no thought that this is going to happen. So Jesus makes this allusion to that time and saying, watch, pay attention. And he says in verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find him doing that. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and an hour when he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him as a portion with the hypocrites. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The expression cut him in two doesn't mean he actually cuts him in two. It's talking, talking about whipping. It's talking about the whip on the back. And it, it, the expression meant that he left a mark. He's being punished for what was going on. Was what, and that's kind of what they did back then. So here we say one of the things that's key here is that it's evil to say, my master's delaying his coming. He's not coming. Jesus is not coming back. And Peter talks about scoffers who say, where's the promise of Jesus coming? Because everything is going on the same way as it always has. And I remember pulling up to a, a gas pump one time. We are traveling. and pulled up to this gas pump. And this guy comes out and says, don't use that gas pump. That gas pump is slower than the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. And I thought, well, that's an interesting expression. I haven't heard that and haven't heard it since. But I thought, wow, that's kind of a fulfillment of people saying that's never really going to happen. And I think the, the point here is that Jesus is, is talking about a time that is coming ahead that we can escape as believers, people who have trusted and believed in Jesus. And I want to kind of turn to a similar passage in Luke, where it says this, take heed to yourself. This is Luke 21, 34. It says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be, I got highlighted there, counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus says, watch and pray that you can be counted worthy to escape all the things that he's just talked about. Uh, in a similar passage in Luke, okay, talks about similar things. He's, he talks about this this phrase about being counted worthy to escape, and that's our salvation. That's what we cling to. That's that's what that's about. But our salvation becomes even more pronounced when we think that any moment Jesus could return. Is what it, it's kind of what he's saying. It's going to come on as a snare on everybody. Look what it says in verse 35 there. All those who dwell on the face of the earth. So when Jesus comes, you know, when that happens, it's it's going to affect everyone. And But he's talking about this escape. He's talking about this time when we'll be taken with him. And we could talk more about that on another day, but probably next week, actually, we'll talk more about that as we cover chapter 35, uh, 25. But uh, any questions or thoughts on that? I had a question. So the abomination was that they put like an unclean animal like on the holy place? I got confused. With okay, the- what happened was uh, Antiochus, what he did was he took a, a pig and he sac- had the priest made the priest sacrifice it on the altar. Now the pig is unclean, so that's an abomination. 
And that was a couple hundred years before Christ. Yeah, that's 167 BC. So that's yeah, a couple hundred years before Christ. And then he sets up an idol. Now the setting up of the idol, or in that case, was probably one of the Greek gods, Jupiter or something. In that case, the setting up of the idol is kind of what, if you look at Revelation 7, Revelation 13, it talks about the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple. And that's that that future abomination. Um, and for that to happen, obviously there's got to be a temple built. And we kind of go, well, there's no temple in Jerusalem. If you look at the site now, you've got the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount. And, and you know, the Jews in, in, um, in Israel and different places talk about, uh, you know, rebuilding the temple, having another temple. And so some people have said that this contract that the Antichrist is going to make with Israel in the future would involve them building a temple, right? It might involve them allowing them to build a temple. And uh, that's just, that's a guess. I don't know if that's true. Okay. But there will be a temple which will be desecrated by the Antichrist by setting up an image. Okay, so the Antiochus one is mm -hmm. like, you, it's like a foreshadowing. Of, foreshadowing. It'll be like this okay. type of thing. Right? Cool, thanks. I have a question. So is that, was that guy considered the Antichrist, the God that was doing this? In, in the book of First John, it talks about many Antichrists have come. The Antichrist, the guy that, that will basically rule the world in, in the future, is a specific person person. Because as Jesus is talking about the, the abomination of desolation, he's referring back to Daniel. And Daniel talks about this guy in the future, this prince who is to come, will do all these awful things. And there's much more to it than, than that's there. So when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of des desolation that Daniel spoke about, he obviously meant that it hadn't happened yet. Because if it was Antiochus back in 167, then that wouldn't be the Antichrist. And there's this, there's this figure that comes upon the scene later on and talked about in, in 2 Thessalonians and in, in Revelation. Does that answer your question? So is he called the Antichrist because of he's doing all these things? Of the yeah. Awful. Basically, uh, he sets himself. It says in Thessalonians, he sets him up himself up in the temple for proclaiming to be God as if he is God. Okay. In fact, we could look at that really quickly. Second uh, Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Okay. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Now, this is talking about the judgment of God. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness has another thing he's called, okay? The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So there's the, the other thing about the Antichrist. He takes a seat in the temple, and he proclaims himself to be God, and he also sets up an image of himself like Antiochus did. So the tribulation happens ap after the rapture, yeah. and it's the horrible time where people yeah. are... I believe the Bible teaches just that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's, it's not just one, you know, some people think it's just one scripture, you know, yeah. two, but it's like there's so many, and I think one of the key things is to understand that the, uh, Israel is an entity, and the church is an entity. 
And so when they're prophesying about Israel to Daniel, Daniel doesn't see everything about the church happening in the future. He just sees what's happening to Israel. So when he says, the 70 weeks concern your holy spirit <coughs> and your people, it's talking about the Jews, okay? So he's, he's talking about what's going on in Israel at that time. And so, yeah, that, the idea that the church is taken out of the way is kind of a new concept that begun, begins to be introduced here, but it's, it's, uh, it's given more detail in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 1 Thessalonians 4. Let me ask you this. How does this make you feel? Like as far as this, does it shake you up in any way? Is anybody affected in any way? Something that uh, stuck out to me was uh, uh, people's indifference to the truth that will save them. Mm -hmm. um, because I know there's so many people in my life where that's definitely the case. Mm -hmm. Where um, on the outside, you know, it wouldn't seem like they're, you know dead in sin or anything, but they just don't care and just don't see how this affects their life and um, it scares me for for them and for you know just people in my life who feel that way because um, there's so much at stake with that. That's cool. That's that's what I hope would, would be the impact of it, you know, because mm -hmm. I think that many times in Scripture, when we studied First Peter, if you remember, it talks about heaven and in the light of that, you know, how we're supposed to live, and you know, the idea of our inheritance being in heaven. And because of that, it changes us. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole uh, idea, I think, that Jesus is talking about with this, this guy, remember this guy that's given charge of the house, and he says, my master's delaying this coming, so he's, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, that's unbelief, really, is what that is. Mm -hmm. And so, as we'll get to next week, there's a little, there's a few more parables about that time, which I believe we'll talk about that, and also about a judgment uh, that's coming after. But we'll, we'll get to that next week. When we, um, when the when we're taken, or the rapture takes place, that's going to be instant? That's not going to be the slow. No, the slow, the slow time when everybody sees Jesus is talking about when he comes in his glory. Right? Are we coming back with him? Yes. yes it's in the, because we remember it says we, we get to reign on the earth with Christ. Mm -hmm. And if you look in Revelation 19, it talks about all of the saints following Jesus on white robes when he comes to judge the world and, uh, and uh, begin to reign on the earth. It's well, weird. Like, I'm just reading. I don't know. Is that... This is from this Luke. Reading? Yeah, this is from Luke. On, like, the white mind says it, that stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. I feel like... I don't know if it's like a translation thing, mm -hmm. but sometimes when I read that, I'm like, well, none of us are going to be counted worthy. Like, I mean, because we've been given Christ's righteousness, but mm -hmm. that can, you guys know what feelings it kind of evokes in us. Like, yeah. it's a little bit of like, well, gosh, all of us would probably go, oh, I don't know how I stand it. Well, but, but just to kind of complete it, to say that it's, it's so important to not send a message that are you counted worthy, but it's that Christ's righteousness yeah. is on us. Good. And that it's yes. his worthiness, not our own. Because so much here, especially in L.A., is about, well, if I'm a good enough person, right. surely God will see that and go, count me as worthy, because you're a pretty good person. Yeah. So I think it's just so important to, and I know translations, are, but it can be like, yeah. Uh, yeah. just to make that really clear, that none of us are worthy, not yeah. one of us. You but, know, so you it's, know, it's accounted, it's, it's uh, considered, or it's... Uh, it's kind of like when, when we're considered righteous because of Christ and what, yes. you, what you're saying. That's kind of thing that's kind of what it's saying. That you are, you are now he doesn't explain it there, but he's, the gospel hasn't even been fleshed out by this point right. like the gospel that we know. 
about believing and trusting in Jesus' death because he hasn't even died yet at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. It's not us being worthy. It's being worthy because we've trusted in, mm-hmm. in Jesus' death. Yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for its urgency and its, its sobering thoughts to us, Lord. And uh, I, I thank you that every time we look at it, we can be moved to think of how we're living our lives right now. And uh, whether we've trusted in you, whether we are, uh, are watching and waiting and longing for your appearing as the word tells us to. Lord, I just pray that we'd be all, all of us would be people who would look forward to your appearing when you come for the church. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, put it in our hearts, a great understanding of the reality of these things as we see the prophecy fulfilled of Daniel about the, the, the span of years from the building of the temple to the time that you come on the scene. And then after that, you being killed and Jerusalem destroyed, as we see those prophecies fulfilled in, in reality, in real time. And, and we look ahead and look, look at these things that you say, these are definitely gonna happen too. That we can be brought to an understanding that you're in control of all these things. That you're in charge of what's happening in the future. But we just need to pay attention to that and be trusting in you and be ready for your return. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be people that look forward to the return of Jesus as people will be taken with him when he comes, taken with you when he comes. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you give us clear understanding, give us clear um, direction in our lives, and bring us your spirit to to help us see these things and, and be convicted of them and be brought to a closer relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.